Shalom and welcome to the Vibe of the Tribe podcast from JewishBoston.com. I'm Miriam Anzavin, and I'm joined on this episode by my co-host, Dan Seligson, and my very special guest co-host, Kali Foxman. Dan, you'll be talking a lot today, so I'm going to break protocol and say, what's up, Kali? Hi, Miriam. And hi, Dan. Hi. Today is a big day for Jewish Boston. This marks the 75th episode of the Vibe of the Tribe podcast, a project we started in late 2015. On our very first episode, the founder of the pod and our current editor, Jesse Ulrich, made a Meet the Hosts episode. Nearly four years, 74 episodes, and 20,000 listens later. Damn. Damn. Mm -mm. Go on. We're going back to where we started. We're going to focus on you two, the hosts of our pod, and take a look back at some of the unforgettable episodes and stories behind making the vibe of the tribe. That's right, Kali. For the past 74 episodes, I can say with confidence that if it's Jewish and Boston adjacent, we've probably done a pod about it. From holidays, movies, TV, sports, parenting, history, the environment, human rights, Israeli innovation, cooking and cuisine, photography, feminism, and even beekeeping. Yes, the Jewish aspects of keeping stinging insects as pets. We really have tried to mix it up with just about anything that resonates with the tribe and its vibe. I'm looking forward to discussing our greatest hits and also our bloopers, of which there are countless examples. Keep listening to the end of this episode for some of our most epic mistakes. Not today, though, Jesse. Not today. <laughs> okay, let's get to it. Kali, it's your show today. Exciting. So, to start, tell us why you're passionate about making the Vibe of the Tribe podcast. Let's start with Miriam. Okay. Oh, man, this is so different. Well, I will say that what Jewish Boston does is provide a platform for the Jewish voices in the greater Boston Jewish community. Some people we reach and connect with, with written material, with events, with all kinds of things. And some people just like to listen to us with their ears. So this is one way that we can share the stories of what's happening Jewishly here in Boston. And it's kind of like a fun and different way to do that. So that's what I really love about the podcast and also just covering all kinds of things, some of which I knew about, some of which I haven't known about. It's been incredibly educational for me and I'm sure Dan as well. Totally. Um, I would say that for me, I got into my professional life thinking that I would be a journalist. And one of the real thrilling things about being a journalist, especially when you work for a little podunk newspaper, which I did is that you have to gain a different expertise every day. One day I needed to cover a park bench dedication and figure out why they had dedicated a bench to this person who did a thing that was important in history, and that was exciting to me. Uh, and then the next day I had to cover uh, a standoff with police, and I had to learn the background of this family, what was happening there, how to talk to police. Then the next day I had to look up court records and all kinds of things. And each day you gain an expertise, the next day you kind of lose it because you have to do the next thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. But what's exciting about doing the podcast is being able to do this amazing variety of stories that we've done, like talking to the Brass Sisters about cooking, talking to a poet and having him do a live performance for us that was absolutely amazing, um, speaking to Julian Edelman about uh, meat on the bone, he's done a couple times, but about his football <laughs> career and, and his way forward and, and just all these Israeli innovators that we've spoken to, it just it's so inspirational to learn something new every episode and to be able to impart that to our listeners. And I like learning it with Dan. 
That's been fun. Go on. Yeah. The well, feeling is we like mutual. to share. We ha- we like to say that we have one brain. So this is our 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 together learning experience. I actually knew you were going to say exactly I know, that. I know you I did. did. <laughs> you make a great team. Thank you. Go on, Colleen. <gasps> so, what has been one of the biggest surprises for each of you in producing this project, um, and what's something you've learned? Le- uh, learned is that um, talking is hard. I think that's one of the number one things that we've discovered, not just for us, but sometimes it's hard for other people. When the mic goes on, it's suddenly terrifying. And we learned that there are ways that you talk that don't sound that great on the pod that sound absolutely fine in real life. For example, fry. We learned that fry is a real problem and everybody does it. Everyone suffers from a little bit of vocal fry. Vocal fry, up talk, uh, starting every sentence with so, which is one of my biggest um, And I think issues. I just did that. So I just <laughs> illustrated You know what? This. Yeah. That self-diagnosis is the way, to the, it's the way to the cure. Uh, so talking is hard for both of us, I think. And, mm. and we've definitely- Thinking and talking at the same time. We've been working on that. We have. We've done a lot of practicing, <laughs> but there's still a lot of work to go. Yeah. So it's an ongoing process. I think the other part for me that's been interesting is that People want to be on the pod. You know, it started out that we were begging people who didn't know about it to be on the pod. And now I wouldn't say begging. I would say not begging. Okay. Politely it, inquiring. Yes. Yeah, so like right. Yeah. And in researching a future podcast, we asked people a question. They said, well, that's not really my thing, but I'd love to be on a future one about this, this and this. So we mm-hmm. have people uh, kind of stepping up and volunteering to be on it. And that's um, that's an exciting development in the vibe of the tribes two, three and a half year history, mm-hmm. three and a half year history. I don't think that's how math works, but okay. Yeah. No, I, math is not one of my strongest <laughs> subjects, which is why I, we you know, don't I should cover be better math at talking. This podcast. I should be better at talking. We do cover many other topics on the podcast, including people's Jewish journeys. I'm curious about yours. Let's start with you, Dan. Oh, that threw, me, that threw me. Trick. Uh, okay, so I grew up in Lexington, represent just outside of Boston. Uh, hopefully a lot of our listeners are from there. Uh, I grew up at Temple Isaiah, pretty much. I went to Hebrew school from the time I was probably seven until high school graduation, which nobody does. Everyone mm-hmm. stopped at Bar Mitzvah. Mm-hmm. A I group did, of I like, did. You did it too, mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. A group of like 12 of us decided that we'd keep going because we basically had a great time at Hebrew school. We would. That's adorable. We'd sneak up to the water tower and occasionally smoke cigarettes <laughs> and oh have a grand old time. Sorry, Rabbi. Uh, and it was really, it was a great, fun social thing. I also was very active in NEFTI and LEFTI, which is the National Federation of Temple Youth and the Lexington Federation of Temple Youth, uh, went on a six-week Israel trip and was really super Jew right up until I reached college and had zero interest in Hillel, like zero, less than zero. And from there, my Jewish journey went astray, uh, I would say. <laughs> Off I did, the derech, as we yeah, say. Basically nothing Jewish um, until I got my first job out of college, which was at the Washington Institute, which is a think tank that focuses on issues in the Middle East, definitely from a pro-Israel bent. And from there, I kind of started doing some other things. I worked for a PR firm doing uh, Israel-focused work. And then decided to go to journalism school and spent um, the next 15 years not doing anything related to Israel or Judaism until we decided to move back to Boston, at which point I said, you know what? Everybody gets jobs with connections, and I got to go back to the tribe. I got <laughs> So I started calling everyone I knew in the tribe trying to get a job, and I ended up at CJP. And here I am, uh, Jewish again, I guess. Well, you 
You were always Jewish. Yeah, I always was, but you, I mean, you can't escape that. I'm like a professional Jew rather yes. than just a Jewish professional. You're a Jew in the community yes. doing Jewy things. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you, Miriam? Well, mine's a kind of a weird roundabout story. I was raised in a Balchuva family. What that means is that we weren't originally religious or orthodox, but we became so. We took on mitzvot. We started keeping kosher. We started keeping Shabbat. Uh, we did all these things, and we went from reform to conservative to orthodox. And uh, I grew up in Amherst, Massachusetts, so there's not like a huge Orthodox community. So I spent a ton of time with uh, the Chabad Lubavitch um, family um, in the Chabad house near UMass Amherst, where I went to school eventually. And uh, I was friends with their 13 children. And I went to <laughs> Yeshiva Academy from sixth to eighth grade. And after that, I homeschooled myself until college, where I degree, where my degree was Judaic studies, because I even though I wasn't really in a quote-unquote community, I was fascinated by Judaism, and I loved it so much, and there was so much to delve into, and you never hit the bottom of that well of knowledge. There is no way that a single human being ever could in their entire lifetime. So here I am, many years later, an atheist, and yet uh, I am committed and in love with the Jewish story uh, more than I ever was. So I went from davening, uh, praying three times a day and you know wearing long skirts and that whole thing to not doing those things and yet still wanting to be part of the community. And I like to say, I'm not on the derech, I'm not on the path, but I like to help pave it for other people. I think it's worth noting that Miriam is in fact my rabbi. <laughs> and anytime I have questions of faith or issues where Judaism can inform aspects of my life, I go straight to the source of all Jewish knowledge for me, Miriam. Mm -hmm. I am happy to help. I was just going to say, <laughs> she's our resident rabbi, and both of you are extremely knowledgeable um, on Israel-related matters. Mm. And I'm curious how you became so interested in Israeli society and politics and just you, you always know what's going on. Yeah. Dan, you want to take this one first? Uh, I did it for money. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, uh, <laughs> well, like I you said, did I, mention that. <laughs> I worked at the Washington Institute and I was uh, a research assistant for people, including Yehuda Mursky, who was on episode 74 about the Israeli election, which everyone should listen to. Excellent episode. Yehuda is brilliant, as yes. was Rachel Fish. Um, so I worked in that world. And then I um, worked for, like I said, a PR and event planning firm where we worked for the Israel Policy Forum, as well as the Chabad. So I became knowledgeable about issues that mattered to these groups. And then my first job at CJP was working for the Israel Advocacy Department, where it was essentially my job to run social media, write any external communication. So if I didn't know my Israel stuff, I would be driving a lift and working at Starbucks. <laughs> Well, nothing wrong with either one of those. There is jobs. nothing wrong with either of those things. Yep. I will say that my family was always uh, Zionist. Um, and I remember during the second intifada, I was a teenager. And because I grew up in Amherst, which is a crazy place, guys, don't go there. Everyone decided, everyone in the town apparently decided to have a huge debate about this in the local newspaper. So I started writing in and um, I got so many death threats, at, at, you know, as a teenager. And I was like, wow, OK, well, something's a little uh, interesting about this. So that's when I first learned that being a Zionist was a controversial thing for a lot of people. Well, actually, I learned that in kindergarten when somebody wouldn't be friends with me because they thought I was Israeli. But setting that aside. So I've always had this sort of 
well, fuck you attitude to everybody else because of the hate that I got in Amherst. But that wasn't a very nuanced view. During college, I kind of learned more. I still would describe myself as a Zionist, but with an understanding of the complexities and nuances of the issues on the ground today, of which there are so, so many that inform it. But I also see it as a continuity thing. Uh, we're Jewish. And what does that mean? We're, we initially are people uh, developed in uh, the ancient kingdoms of Israel and, and Judea. And to be a Jew now, one must also think of the past. And that means understanding uh, our indigenous heritage in the region. So I still feel very strongly about these issues. And when I came to Boston, I worked at an Israel advocacy organization. And then I actually ended up working with Dan here at CJP in the department that focused on Israel advocacy as well. And that's how we became uh, such good buds. Yeah. And I should also add, you know, I, um, I was pretty hardcore Zionist as well. And I still am. But uh, I remember in my junior year of college, I went on the... Um, American University, Washington semester. I went to Connecticut College, but I spent a semester in D.C. And I got this roommate who could not have been a worse fit for me. So my roommate at the time at American University was someone who was the exact polar opposite of me from the Deep South. Dad was a lawyer, had a name that ended in a number, like the third or the fourth or something. And uh, we didn't get along at all. And I decided one day that I would just go out, buy an Israel flag and hang it on the wall. And man, did that piss off my roommate. And this, <laughs> he would go into the room and say, why are you Jews so militant? And it just made me so happy oh, that, that he made felt me that so about happy. me. It made me so happy. And I, you know, I've spent probably, I don't know, four or five months total in Israel. I love it. But also the idea that this is, uh, to some people, a trigger that pleases me. Also, I do want to help people love Israel at the same time. I know that there's some people who never will. So if I trigger them, fine. But I would also like to make this roommate whose name ended in a number learn to love Israel, which perhaps he has at this point in his life. One never does know. Miracles do happen. One doesn't know. But I will say I'm an American and I have no plans on moving to Israel and making Aliyah mainly because this is the main reason the showers are weird. Oh, <laughs> like you have to use a squeegee to like, there's no slope. Like there's no area. Yeah, they don't drain the, the same if, way, do they? And I'm just not, I'm as an American, so I just can't. So power to you, Israelis. <laughs> but I'm going to stay an American. I'm staying here for the showers. <laughs> Very important. Very important. Least important reasons I've heard to not it's make Aliyah, but it is a valid reason. Most important mm. It's a valid reason, reason to me. Well, thank you both for sharing your <laughs> Yeah, you're stories. welcome, Kali. That was more than you asked for, wasn't it? <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed it. Looking back at 75 episodes mm -hmm. of The Vibe of the Tribe, what's one of your favorite episodes and why, Dan? I loved talking to the Brass Sisters. Um, the Brass Sisters are two late 70 and... Ladies of a certain age. Ladies of a certain age ages. who came on... Delightful uh, women. Yeah, they came on to the Vibe of the Tribe as our one and only live podcast in front of a live studio audience of around, <laughs> I don't know, 60, 60 70 people. Yeah. And they were just so fascinating and so sweet. And these two women, they I don't believe either one of them ever married. They've lived with each other since they were born, basically. They answer each other's sentences, one more than the other, actually does all the talking. <laughs> it was so fascinating to hear about the Jewish experience in Boston 
in the 40s and 50s and growing up and what they had dealt with, um, both good and bad, and their, their, the way that they learned everything from their mother, the way that they are passing down these very traditional recipes at the same time willing to mix it up and be totally innovative and figure out how to make ramen kugel. I mean, it was, you know, they're, they're doing really out there stuff and they're just always ready to take on the new, some new adventure. They're just fascinating to me. I have a couple favorites. One I have to say is the first episode that I was ever on. Um, it was, oh my God, it was the last Judai, and it was a Jewish analysis of the Last Jedi, and it happened right around Hanukkah. So we were able to make a lot of uh, <laughs> Jedi um, Maccabee comparisons on that episode. But that was the very first one, and Dan asked me to be on as the Jewish expert, quote unquote. And I remember being so nervous and and worried. Would it turn out okay? But I think it turned out okay. You were a natural. It turned out great. It turned out great. <laughs> and, and later on, I do have to say that one of my favorites that we've done more recently was the Jewish magic and superstition episode. With, that was so uh, good. That was really, really great. We did it last October. It was our Halloween episode. And that's a subject that's fascinated me for a, a really, really long time because not a lot of people necessarily would know about the Jewish background with uh, superstition and magic. And one of the things I really love about the podcast is the opportunity to not only share things with um, an audience that may or may not know about it, but learn things myself and then help share that. So when we did more recently an episode um, about Ascension literature, that involved me having to do a lot of reading of Ezekiel's visions, of Isaiah's visions, which are things that I'm familiar with, but a more deep dive into that content. So it was an opportunity to learn. And that's what I really, really value. Uh, so I think those are some of my favorite. You also episodes. had to learn for two of us because my mantra throughout that entire episode <laughs> is I'm out of my element. I'm out of my element. Well, but you helped me. You carried you know me through that episode. Anytime. Thank you. I carried you like a chariot, which is what Ascension literature is all about. <laughs> which I learned about as well. Nice turn. What is one of our most popular episodes? I think, Dan, you can speak to this one. Yeah, that would be uh, Julian Edelman talking about faith and football mm. uh, on episode 71 or 72. We'll put it in the show notes, I'm sure. But it was kind of a random thing. I'd been asking for a podcast with Julian since basically 2015. And I got a call two days before we actually ended up recording it saying, can you get to Julian's house at 530 on Wednesday, June, whatever. I said, um, let me check. Yes. So <laughs> I grabbed the, the mobile studio and went over to his house and sat in his uh, kitchen and recorded the interview, which was really good. But I have to say, and this might come up later anyway, but the most fascinating stuff he said was after we turned off the microphones. That happens mm. more than we'd like to admit. <laughs> Sometimes we do, we have a great session. We turn off the mic, and then people will be like, "Oh, now I also want to mention X, Y, Z." That's when you get the that's when you get the stuff. juicy stuff. But sometimes that's not for the audience. It's just for our ears alone. Mm -hmm. I have one other one. I think oftentimes when you do remote interviews, they can be pretty crappy because you don't see the person. You don't really get to kind of bounce off each other with eye contact or anything. But Nathan Englander was oh, such that was a, a great, great one. interview. We had both read the book early. His, his new book, Kaddish.com. Yes, we had both read Kaddish.com early. And we were very thoughtful about the questions that we asked. And I think if we that, say so ourselves. Yeah, I, I do think so, right? <laughs> and I think that he had been in the middle of a, um, a book tour where people hadn't read the book and was probably answering some really lame questions. And he mm -hmm. came on 
and was so energized by yeah. the discussion that we just had a really, really excellent episode, despite the fact that we were on the phone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he said he wanted to take us on tour with him. And we he said did. yes, but there, said, was no yeah. <laughs> there was no follow-up. There was no follow-up. But you know that I will say the one thing I do like about remote interviews, they are challenging in a lot of different ways, but I like it when a dog barks in the background and then I can know which of our guests have dogs, which is the most important thing in the world to he me. He had dogs? There was woofing. Okay. There's been woofing Confirm. on several Confirm. several different occasions in <laughs> remote podcasts. Amazing. Yeah. What's something from one of your interviews that really stuck with you? I know you both touched on this a little bit, but is there something specific that has really resonated with you? Well, when I talk to Julian, uh, you know, I think because professional athletes get media training their very first day on the job, uh, they have a tendency to speak in kind of a practiced, not prattle, but they, they speak in a way that you can tell that they've been coached on what they can or can't say. And and to speak in a certain way, it's almost like a, a monotone. And not that he did that necessarily, but that that's the way that most professional athletes, especially high-profile ones, will handle interviews because it's scary for them. The possibility that they say the wrong thing looms large, and then they're screwed, and the team is screwed, and it becomes a big deal. But after we turned off the mics, he just started talking about, uh, he said, he's, we were just in the kitchen, and he's like, getting water and kind of moving around the kitchen, getting ready to do the next thing. He said, you know what word I love? I love the word avoda. Mm-hmm. Like avoda. I quickly have to text Miriam, but I didn't actually. <laughs> <laughs> I look kind of lost and, and a soft. It means work. Work. Avodah. Spirit, like spirit or work or. Like, like serving the community yes. type work. So mm-hmm. avoda is apparently Julian's favorite word. He thinks it's like his personal motto though he doesn't tell anyone this apparently publicly, but he he's very into this idea of work. And he talked about the Jewish story being my story and Avadah is something that I can relate to. And I'm like, oh my God, Julian, can we just turn the mic back on? <laughs> we got a lot of other stuff, but we just needed that. But it, it was just a great conversation and to find out sort of the, this insight that I didn't have before, which was not off the record, by the way, that's no secret. But hearing him talk about Avadah was um, like a, I get chills about that moment because it was so awesome. <laughs> mm. For me, I I was really... So we did an episode this year for Yom HaShoah with Michael Gruenbaum, who is a local Holocaust survivor um, who lives here in Boston. It was quite a challenging episode. I'm sure everybody can imagine why. It was just It's just a hard thing to talk about, and it's hard to hear directly from uh, someone who experienced the Holocaust. But of course, it's important to hear those stories as well. And... I remember just being struck by the way he described his experience at the camp of Terezin, which was in some ways a quote-unquote show camp that the Nazis used to show organizations like the Red Cross that things weren't that bad, um, and the way in which the manipulation of the image of these camps um, played such a kind of key role and how he he knew, though he was in a concentration camp, that people kept being shipped off to the east or put on trains to the east, and that was Auschwitz. Um, and it was just remarkable to think that he had firsthand not only witnessed all these truly horrific things, but that he was kind of giving us a, an insight into the way the world is developing now and what's happening again that's similar. What are the signposts that we need to be aware of, both in terms of what's happening in terms of global, global anti-Semitism, but also how people are being treated around the world and, and also here in our own country. 
um, in terms of refugees and immigrants. So that really stuck with me. And I've been thinking about that a lot recently, especially. That one gave me chills when he yeah. was reading from yeah. his He's book. a fascinating, fascinating person. And here's a more fun tidbit. He's the reason that the streets in Back Bay go one direction. Because when he came to America, he became a city planner. And uh, so he fixed that. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> I, I, the story of how his mother really oh, saved yeah. them, like when they were mm-hmm. minutes away from having to go on that train, was just like. Yes. Chilling. Um, yeah. yeah. I, it, it's beyond. Truly mm-hmm. remarkable. What are some of your goals for the podcast going forward? Well, I know that our we've talked about how important it is to give voice to a lot of different people in the community and talk about what they're doing, um, provide this sort of platform for different organizations to talk about their work. But I would also like to see us have more a more uh, diverse uh, set of guests. So we're trying really hard to get more female experts on certain topics on on the podcast. And sometimes we have to do a little more looking or a little more work to achieve that. But I think it's something that's very important. Also, you know, Jews of color, Jews of different identities and orientations. This is what we really want to, I mean, my personal goal is to work more towards uh, having more diverse voices on the podcast going forward. Yeah, I, I totally share that goal. I think... Um we finally hit a milestone of getting a thousand listens. And I think that our product is so per excellent. Per episode, and it was Julian. I, I, I think our podcast is so excellent that I, I would like to find some creative ways to get the word out about it. If anyone out there is listening and would like to co-brand <laughs> or co-host a podcast with us and have some ideas for us, we'd love to hear them. But, you know, we, we've had 20,000 downloads or something like that. But I think that there's a lot more room for us to grow. And we have um, an excellent product. We have an amazing community with like a seems like a bottomless well of people yeah. that we can talk to uh, and hear their stories. And I just think that there's, um, there's so much more room to tell more stories to more people. Yes. And also, we want to work on the continued dismantling of Ashkenormativity. Yes. Like to put and getting there. and eliminating vocal fry. <laughs> right. Awesome. So to close this out, we're going to do a speed round. These are surprise questions. Mm -hmm. So keep it snappy. All right. Okay. We're going to start with Miriam. Okay. Dream podcast guest. Michael Aloni. Um, I second that. Dan. (laughs) Natalie Portman and Harrison Ford together. At the same time. Interesting. Okay. 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 Favorite Israeli or Jewish food? Halva. Uh, I don't exactly know what they call it, but that cauliflower that they have in Tel Aviv, Ms. Non's cauliflower sandwich is the greatest thing I've Sounds ever put in my face. Sounds disgusting, but okay. It's the greatest thing I've ever put in my face. Wow. Okay. Listeners, you can't see my expression right now, but it's very, But that very sounds good to me, actually. <laughs> oh, but I don't it's really like, know what it is. baby so. cauliflower that they roast in this very particularly Israeli way, and it's a vegan sandwich, and it is perfection. Mm. It's okay. perfection. I'm going to send an article to you both after this so you know what perfect food could possibly be. It's cauliflower. Wonderful. Weird. Most re- <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Most recently binged TV show, Miriam. Okay, this weekend, it's not an Israeli show, and I know mostly that's what I watch, but I did watch Netflix, um, The Haunting of Hill House, and it was really good. And usually I hate... Um, scary things. I'm very easily scared. Uh, but I love this one. It's great. Um, British show Scott and Bailey, which uh, we got as a it. recommendation from someone, which I'm alternating with Stitzel, which I think I Stitzel. just 
damn it. I actually thought I got it right for the first time in my life. I no. did not. And so close. Um, I'm on track to start Dark, which is an amazing mm. German, creepy, time-shifting show. Also Netflix? Show. It's also on Netflix. Thank you, season, Netflix. Season two just came out. And apparently Stranger Things comes out on Friday. So that'll be taking some of my time. Oh, Mazel Tov. Favorite Jewish holiday and why? Passover. Because if you are not like, okay, if you are a religious person, an observant person, and you go through all the prep required, you really do feel like you've escaped servitude by the time you get <laughs> to the first Seder. Like if you have done it like the legit hardcore way, my God. Um, so by the time you actually get to the Seder, you feel it. So I would say in a lot of ways, Passover, that's a holdover from when I was Orthodox, but also Purim and also Hanukkah. I like a lot of ones where- All the holidays? Well, where I like the ones where other people die and Jews don't, mm. pretty mm-hmm. much. Valid, yeah. valid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I- also have to second you on Purim. I think it's the perfect blend of um, serious story mm. and Alcohol. festive binging. Yes. Um, and I know that people have mixed feelings on Hamantaschen, but I actually really think that Purim's food is interesting and unique and symbolic, and the booze is equally important. <laughs> it's actually written right there in the book. We're supposed to drink until we can't tell the difference between genders and what else? It's, I don't know. It's between um, Haman and Mordechai. Oh. Close. Really? It's okay. Okay. Uh, but you are okay. supposed to cross-dress, so that was accurate. Okay, so this is why I have a rabbi <laughs> in-house, because these questions come up all the time. Mm-hmm. Or I'm incorrect constantly. You're, you're getting better. 80% this week. You're doing great. Thank you. If you weren't working at CJP and hosting this podcast, what would you be doing? I would be John Wick. <laughs> That's my dream life. I'll just say it right now. Uh, I would love to be a reporter again. Uh, that was my, I, I love doing really fast turnaround stories like AP style stuff. That was my, that was my gift growing up, being able to write things fast. I nailed the AP test, except I was offered a job to work from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. Oh, no. Four nights mm-hmm. a week. And I said, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Good yeah. answer. I love the AP test. Yeah. Love it. I mean, not the advanced placement, the Associated right. Press. Associated you know exactly press. what I'm talking I about. Do. Okay, I have great. no I, idea what they're talking I about. I love that. It sounds very impressive, though. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Okay. It is. It's fun. You say so. Favorite podcast besides ours? Oh, dear. Okay, I'll, I'll go first. Yeah, go I, I will say, well, the first podcast that I ever listened to was How Did This Get Made? Mm. I love that podcast. <laughs> um, it's all about how bad movies, what happened? Mm-hmm. How did these films get to be produced what are the crazy backstories um what are the most ludicrous things that we can get from watching these films so i i do love that podcast that was the first one i heard and it was just really special so there's a podcast that um i'm just now starting to get into uh it helps people when they can't sleep it's called sleep with me but it's in a very um, <laughs> non-sexual have way you tried asmr i haven't yet okay, okay so sleep with me is kind of a middle-aged or older man who just reads menus and the most boring <laughs> shit. And apparently by, by listening to this man droning on, which he does intentionally. Does he, he have drones. a special accent? Like is it People British fall asleep. accent? No, just or? like flat Midwestern, like, like airline pilot. Okay. It's, I mean, right, and apparently this out. just does wonders and uh, I'm just starting to get into it. So I'll, I'll let you know about I the I will results. say I do love Rabbi Sachs, his, his podcast. 
that he has. Oh, that voice. It's real good. It's a British voice and you just learn Jewy mm-hmm. stuff and it's delightful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a wrap. Okay. We did it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now I'm going to. Thank you. Okay. Well, so I'm going to read the outro. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. This is so weird again. <laughs> well, thank you, Kali, for hosting this. Um, thank you, all our listeners, for tuning in to this 75th episode of The Vibe of the Tribe. Follow us on at Jewish Boston on social media. And remember to subscribe to The Vibe of the Tribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can also email us at podcast at jewishboston.com with your comments, feedback, and ideas for future topics and guests. Thanks, as always, to our editor and the founder of this podcast, Jesse, and our composer, Ryan, and our vocal coach, Lynn. <laughs> On to the next 75. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. Now stay tuned for some crazy bloopers. We didn't make any. It's it's like a roundup. <laughs> we, oh, 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 okay. <laughs> I mean, do you want to just fuck something up so that Jesse has something for you this one? You just did, my friend. Yeah. You're welcome. Cheers. Before we end... <laughs> No, no, for real. Um, Before we end, I just want to make sure that there wasn't anything that, in particular, I fucked up that we need to redo. Like, we're gonna edit him out. Take out the name. I was like, why are you getting more and more specific with his name? He was a lawyer. Like, why would you name drop a lawyer who could sue us? Nothing about that was untrue. That doesn't mean anything. Okay, the most interesting thing about bleep, 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 the third. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, Oh, there's that problem. Speaking of Jesse, in the middle of you doing that, I shuffled a piece of fucking paper. But Jesse, you can get that out of there, right? That's your job. All right, let's do the intro. Do your job, Jesse. Let's do the intro. Yep, let's go. Okay, we're recording. Hi, Jesse. I didn't Hi. fuck up at all. You've got nothing. You've got nothing. Talk slower. Talk slower. Talk slower. And happier. Talk right. happier. And slower. With breathing. This is hard. Okay. Shall we? Hey, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Guess what, Jesse? There are no cats in America. Uh, Dubai's big reveal. Doobie. Doobie. From Dubai. Doobie. Okay, Jesse, who who made the worst flub of the day? It was Dan. <sighs> it was. I don't know. I just. Can I you, don't can think you do Kali one? Can you just any. make one up for us right now, Kali? Please. I just so want to eat my cookie. That's not a blooper. No, Those are just I facts. Want to eat it? Um, no facts on bloopers. Know. I feel like we're in the jungles of Colombia. Oh, they're doing great. They're shutting the door so nice. For like nine you. fucking episodes, we'll never get out. All right, sorry. True. Let me, let, save it, Dan. Save it. Yeah. Save it. God, this is the hardest one I've ever done. This is harder than the live one. I mean, anxiety aside, it was more like taxing on the brain, which I don't have. In addition to his other nicknames, at this point, we assume he retired Fat Moisha, Harry the Gonoff. Morris is now known. God, I'm really this up. With a name like Morris Abraham Tugun Cohen, you can assume I am talking about one badass motherfucker Jew. Your assumption is correct. I'm going to go with it. I'm going I'm to give you an alternative version. Okay. With a name like Morris. <laughs> Excuse me. 37 years ago, nearly to the day, the world's greatest and arguably least ethical archaeological. I can't say that word. Archaeologist. I can say it when I'm not doing it. 
37 years ago, nearly to the day, the world's greatest and arguably least ethical archaeological... Even though this movie is, you know, about an archaeological... <laughs> strike, strike two. Strike two. Different, oh. different player. Archaeological. There we go. Hello and welcome oh to the... Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus H. Christ. Yeah, why don't you do the intro ever? <laughs> I want, I want to sound like one of the characters, so I'll just... Ugh. I'll make my voice sound very Jewish by modulating... <laughs>